they're right on right now. Should I call you T? I can't hear it going down. Good afternoon. Uh, you are listening to The Living Writers Show. Um, and today, well, my name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm lucky to have Rawi Hodge in the studio with me. Uh, good afternoon, Rawi. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Um, Rawi is in town in Ann Arbor today and tomorrow, and he's going to be reading tomorrow night at Shaman Drum at 7 o'clock. Right, Rawi? Yes. At 7 o'clock. Yes. Yes. And um, from his novel, De Niro's Game. Um, glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here. It's a wonderful town. Yeah, you have to tell us a few. Well, I'm going to read just a short bio for you, and then let's hear your, your Ann Arbor first impressions, <laughs> <laughs> just to put you on the spot, right? right. Um, Rawi Hodge was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and lived through nine years of the Lebanese Civil War. His family fled when he was 12 years old. Rawi eventually moved to New York City before he immigrated to Canada, where he has lived ever since. He is a writer, a visual artist, and a curator. His visual works have been shown in galleries and museums around the world. De Niro's Game was first published in Canada in 2006, and this August, Steerforth Press published it here in the States. And this is your first novel. Um, yes, it is. Wrong. Yes. Um, well, so it's a, it's a it wonderful was, first one. Thank you. It was kind of unexpected. I never thought that I'll be a writer. I was such a bad student <laughs> so for all these bad students out there there's hope <laughs> exactly then yeah well so why were you such a bad student is it i i never liked school i um, i took every opportunity to leave the class and um, just um, flee flee the class uh, but i i was fortunate that my father read a lot and he always surrounded us with books and uh, i was a reader I wasn't a good student, but I was always a reader. I always liked to read. And and you uh, found your way to what you, you wanted and needed, then by the sounds of it, to read. Uh, yes, yes. Um, 
yeah later later in life i think it paid off i think reading always pays off um I'm being moralistic here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't have to say this just because you're at the University of Michigan. <laughs> That's right. That's stay right. in school, not, stay in school not, kids. I, <laughs> uh, I don't want to preach, really. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, I Also, I think what helped, because uh, I lived during uh, uh, nine years of the Lebanese War in my, in my youth, and uh, there was a lot of, long periods where we didn't have electricity we used to get electricity um, maybe an hour a day or maximum two hours a day so uh, a lot of nights we spend it uh, without tv so that helped too so we had we were forced to read uh, you know by candles or some kind of lanterns or, or something so uh, it was a good pastime so uh, we me and my brothers when we say we were forced to read so that, that was a good thing we we got something out of this uh, nine years of hardships. <laughs> <laughs> right, some forced reading time. Right, right. Um, and just so we have a full picture, was it that you would just read, like pick a book off the shelf, or would you read as a family, or would it be was it something that brought you together in that way, or just uh, just for readings? Sake, yeah, just really? readings. No, it wasn't. It wasn't organized reading. It's just a very individualistic type of. Uh, exercise but we uh, we shared one room one bedroom me and my brother so we'd be all laying down reading oh that's wonderful <laughs> with the occasional pillow fight you know so. <laughs> just to yeah to shake things up a little bit right and so and how many brothers do you have i have three brothers yeah i have a brother who still lives in new york and uh, a brother who lives in montreal and a brother who uh, went back to lebanon and he's teaching there to the Middle East and Lebanon. Yes, yes, he's yeah. teaching. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you do you go back often? Do you... No, I don't. I don't. Um, I've only been uh, twice back, and the last time was 1998. Um, so yeah, changed many things. Changed since. And is there um, was there a reason that you didn't go back, or just like how life becomes so hectic and busy, or was it more because? Um, the family, it, it, at least in the bio, it says the family fled. So there's, um, yeah, I think mostly money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, then I Let's hear not you. Stop that. <laughs> Don't want to depress the students more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I get you. Um, loud and clear. Um, so so now, but now you're you're in Ann Arbor um, for the the first time coming to Michigan and. Um, and the book has been published by Steerforth Press. It met with great success in Canada. Yes, it did. It's been out. It's been out a year. Yes. Two thousand six, um, and you and you won some prizes. You, you've got some recognition there. Yes. Um, so what? So um, so are you just waiting for the <laughs> the floodgates to open in the states? Or um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Knock, knock on, I'm knocking on my head. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, state it's uh, it's an important uh, it's an important market and it's an important place. Uh, I hope uh, it will be read in the state because also you know De Niro's game. It's a reference yes. to, to to Hollywoodish movies. Um, it's a and it's a book that takes place in the Middle East, but I chose a very almost American title. Um, 
maybe well, I should explain. Yeah, why yes. did you, it, Well, because it's the nickname of one of the main characters yes. in the book, yes. George. Yes. Okay. Um, during the Lebanese war, uh, many of the kids who joined the militia would change their names. They would assume uh, what is, I would say, uh, war names. Um, uh and many of these uh, names were in, in reference to some Hollywoodish hero or another. So in the book, you you might see a lot of uh, Rambo, like Rambo is one name, Beretta, <laughs> De Niro, <laughs> etc. Um, it's all this Hollywood influence, and uh, many of these kids were taken by these movies. And at the time, in the beginning of the war, um, many of these kids had had access to guns, so. Um, which made it a little bit um, lethal and uh, and violent and self-destructive. But De Niro's game is based on um, a, a scene in The Deer Hunter. I'm sure you know the film The Deer Hunter. Um, it was it was a, a Vietnam film where De Niro, um, Robert De Niro, and uh, I think his name is Robert Walker. Um, uh, were were acting. Um, there's a scene. There's a very brutal scene where they were caught by the Viet Cong and they were forced to play Russian roulette against each other, while the soldiers, uh, their captors, were betting on them. Um, after that particular film played in Lebanon in Beirut, um, I think many of the kids picked up on that scene and they start playing Russian roulette because guns were. That yeah. features in your book as well. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, and I also touch uh, later on when one when my protagonist, the, the narrator, leaves to France, he picked up a book by the existentialist uh, Camus, and I tie it to the suicide uh, because he Camus wrote extensively about suicide. Um, so I think the book, in that way, uh, work on different layers and different geographies and cultures yes. so it's not a, it's not just confined to one space or la one language for that matter because there are few french sentences few arabic sentences in there yes there's an ex um, extensive glossary in the back as yes, well which yes. is which is wonderful yes. so you have yeah and so yeah because the book begins in beirut and then we have um of course, it's, there's always um, the idea that some people are leaving, and the, and Beirut, like there's, um, like the uncle leaves because he's a communist, so he he leaves at one point, and um, and then the our Bassam, um, uh, the narrator, he also he goes to Paris in the book, and is always it seems pointing towards Roma as well yes. as a symbolic. Yes, it's a, it is a symbolic. Well, actually, the. The, Beirut, uh, the, the story takes place when Beirut was divided between East and West, pretty much like Berlin, I would say. Um, East Beirut was predominantly Christian and West Beirut was predominantly uh, Muslim and leftist. That's where the uncle leaves, the communist. He had to leave the Christian enclave oh, and so go he just, to the, he leaves to the, to, the West, to the West Beirut, which is predominantly, uh, like I said, Muslim. Because um, we're in East Beirut, in your yes, the book takes novel. place in East Beirut. It's uh, and 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 it takes place in a very confined place in a neighborhood uh, in East Beirut. Uh, but many people um, 
especially Lebanese who, who lived through that war, who lived in West Beirut, they would tell me it could have been in the West Beirut. Really? It's the same mechanism of um, how fuggishness and youth and, 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 and the militia acted. So it's a, it's a, it's a good portrayal of that subculture that, that sprung from nowhere um, during the war. And um, and you you write about it so so knowingly, and I know some writers um, are get get sort of um, either disturbed or impatient when people say, well, what um, when when people are or interviewers <laughs> try to read autobiography right. in, into a, a fictional, you know, it's a novel, yeah. obviously fiction. Um, I'm one of those writers. Not they, just <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad we've got a table that separates us. Then. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm not. No. It's uh, I li- like I said I live I live uh, nine years uh, but uh, when the war started I was nine years old and when I left I was eighteen. Um, of course, there's a lot of things that I witnessed, but a lot of things that I imagined too, and a lot of things that I um, completely changed. I would change. I would start with writing something that is real, that is real, and end up injecting a lot of imaginary in it. Um, and, uh, and I guess it's like any work of fiction. We, we draw on, on reality and then we transform it. Um, in that sense, yes, that's what the book is. I, I don't think it's any, it's different from any other mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but it's not, uh, it's not research. It's a product of, 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 of a life lived of, of, um, series of, uh, um, cultures that I was exposed to, um, languages, many other influences, and, and like the everyday menace of of bombs falling, literally where you where yeah. you live, mm. and so that would be the the truth of that. Um, yeah. It's just interesting, also, because if you left when you were eighteen, I, that's what it feels like. Where our main characters begin the book when they're they're riding on the motorcycle. Is right. that right? Is my sense of their age yes, correct? Yes, yes, they're, they're, they're about that age. It is It is the story of two teenage who uh, get sucked in in the war um, with some resistance. I think my narrator um, all along knew that he didn't want to give any loyalty to to any organized religion or organized political party for that yes. matter and i think that why he's the perfect existentialist in that sense he 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 lives in that void and he or at least the french existentialism where Camus and, and um, um where they were anti well, I don't want to say anti-religious, but they were atheists to a certain extent and secular. Um, so, so my character, the narrator, is also I think belongs to that school instinctively. He's not an educated guy. He never read them. He read. He read. He picked up the book later on in Friends by accident, mm-hmm. but and he felt this affiliation uh, to it. So it's uh, it's an extension of his life that he fi- he found that movement very descriptive of what he lived or who he is the reality of yeah the the well well why don't we hear a little bit of the book we'll we'll take a short break and we'll come back um today rawi hodge um his novel de niro's game you're listening to the living writer show and we'll be right back
Hello, if you're just joining us, tuning in today, Rawi Hodge is with us on The Living Writer Show. His novel is De Niro's Game. Um, Rawi, will, will you read a, a, a bit of it for us? Yeah, um, I'll be reading from a section um, where uh, Bassam um, goes to, uh, with a gun, goes to the grocery store to pick up uh, some... Uh, Sanitary napkins for a little girl who was uh, who was menstruating. And Bassam is he's the, the he's the protagonist. He's our main. Yes, he's the protagonist. Yes, and and the teller. More than ten southern bombs had landed, and I was stranded between two walls facing my trembling mother. She had refused to go down to the shelter unless I come with her, and I refused to hide underground. I, descended from a long line of mighty warriors, would die only in the open air, above an earth of muddy soils and whistling winds. My mother jumped at every explosion. She called upon one female saint after the other, but none of them, busy virgins, ever answered her back. Petra, the little neighbor girl, crawled up the dirty marble stairs and knocked on our door. She looked suspiciously at my glittering sword and warrior face, then covered her lips and whispered the secret in my mother's ear. My mother stood up and walked straight to the bathroom. She came back with a box of Kotex and said, It's empty, Habibti, but do not worry. Come with me. The little menstruating body stood up, her face a deep, bashful red. She dashed inside to my mother's bedroom. I walked down the stairs out of the building and across the deserted street toward Abu Dhali the grocer. The store was closed, but Abu Dhali lived with his family in the back. I knocked. The grocer opened the door a crack. He saw me and frowned and asked me what I needed. Kotex, I said. We're closed now, he answered in a dry tone. It's urgent, I said. Come in. I entered the house. It smells of villager soap, ground coffee, and rotting vegetables that have fallen under the loud fridge, and two cats that fed on brown mice, and the grocer's daughter, Dolly, who was breastfeeding her newborn from her round white breast that made me thirsty. When I stepped in, Dolly covered her baby and her breast in a pink wool quilt. M. Dolly, the grocer's wife, was there knitting in the corner. His son-in-law, Elias, was wearing suspenders and gazing at the wall and smoking. They were all gathered around two beautiful candles that flickered in a wild, diabolic motion, projecting everybody's shadow on Hedis and its burning walls. Abu Dhali, a middle-aged man who had never had a son and whose nickname referred to his older daughter, handed me two packs of Kotex. Which kind do you want? he asked. I held both case, cases close to me, to the candle, and smelled them, which made his wife shiver and puff and murmur in objection. What are you smelling them for? Abu Dhali rushed at me and snatched boxes. Get out! Get out! He started to push me. I shoved him back. His son-in-law picked up a long broomstick and threatened me with it. I snatched back one of the boxes from Abu Dhali's hand, slipped my other hand behind my waist, and pull out my gun. I let a hang off my fingers, pointing toward the floor. And Dolly shouted, he has a gun, he has a gun. Dolly cut off the jet of warm milk of her 
to her baby's lips, which made baby cry and rushed into another room. Clutching the box, I stepped outside the door into the fresh air and walked away. In the background, I heard Abu Dali shouting, I knew your father, I knew your father, he was a friend of mine, and he would have been ashamed to see what his son turned out to be. A thug, shame on you, insulting me in my own house in front of my family. A thug, that's what you are, my son, a thug. And he spat on the floor and cursed my generation and my kind. The thug walked between two buildings, avoiding falling bombs. The thug crossed streams of sewage that dripped from broken pipes. He walked with a gun in one hand and a box of tender cotton in the other. Thank you, Rawi. Thank you. Well, that was great. And so, um, why, why did you choose to read that section for us today? Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought it gives kind of um, a little bit of an idea um, about the character of Bassam. Um, and I thought um, it, it kind of represents the situation, um, bomb falling, and here's a kid with a, with, with a gun in his hand, and he's a little bit ambiguous. He's a thug, but he also... He's doing good. He's doing good. Um, yeah, I think in this book I stayed from high moralities. I, I portrayed two, um, two shady characters without any judgment uh, it's a um, and i showed the evolution pathos, of these two yeah. yes yes without pathos exactly and i thought the evolution of of two uh people caught in the war and the effect on war on on on, on them um it seems um they degenerate to a certain extent as as the book goes along until until bassam leaves um it, it it's i think um i the book i i presented a community with only two choices either to leave escape this madness or to stay and uh, be an integral part in it meaning participating in the war um and the balance and imbalance of power like yes. how to get the power mhm yeah I, th- I think in, in 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 situations like this, exactly the power get concentrated with with a handful of people, uh, and usually it's it's the military or people who have uh, who have uh, that kind of power, that naked power, and the only way to tap in to make a living at it is to join. Uh, it's it's a question of economics too. It's not just ideology anymore. There's that. Right, the power is where of, the economy yes, is. Yes, resources. Where where can you get the resources? It it becomes um, um, becomes about force and power, I guess. Mm. You know, it, the section also reminds me of another moment in the book, and 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 stop me if I'm saying too, if I'm saying too much about the book that you don't want us to <laughs> give away or something. Um, but uh, there's a, there's a scene where 
Bassam, our, our narrator that we just heard, um, part of his story there, and his friend George. Um, George has lost both his parents by this point. Yes. Um, and, and they're like 18 or so. Mm-hmm. And George is the one that always has the gun, is carrying a gun at the beginning of the, the, what, the, the novel. Um, and then there's a moment where they go, they've, they've come into some money, and they're going to have a good time outside of the city at another town, um, sort of a refuge for people, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but George goes overboard, and Bassam tries to save him from himself by taking the gun away from him because yes. George is seemingly going to start shooting people with it. But then um, Bassam actually gets caught alone with the gun by the the military, right. and it's interesting because. Um, He's accused of stealing the gun and the moped, and then uh, the authorities, in their questioning of him, um, they they accuse him of being a thief, and he says, "We are all thieves in it this war." Yes. That's a wonderful line because I yes. think it's, it's it is it is talk, it's, talking it's, about uh, what choice is there to be yes. to, well, you're a thug on one side or the other. Yes, yes. you can be a thug uh, in belonging to. Him wider bigger organization and you can you can be a thug uh, um, just trying to survive yes on your own and uh, and I think that that's if there's anything um, um, wise <laughs> I should say about, about the Bassam the character is how he managed not to belong and still uh, still make some money and and to leave he was obsessed with leaving I guess like many young people who live in in, in areas as such um, there is that obsession with leaving and the west is always always this utopic place that you have to escape to yes but he's fixated on Roma too whereas his friend says George says you should set your sights on America right Right? I I chose Roma um Actually, it's a symbolic choice because it's also in the book. There's a lot of references to that particular community, the Christian community of Lebanon. And historically, they always had that uh, um, that bridge to Rome. Yes, because you even say at one point where where our city is built on the remains of Ro- like a Roman city. Well, yeah, that's 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 in reference to the Roman Empire because Lebanon has many layers when mm-hmm. they were rebuilding uh, downtown Beirut after the war. Um they 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 found so much archaeology. It's an old city. It's a, and uh, and right beneath Beirut there's a whole Roman city actually. It used to be a large um, university town like here. <laughs> and it was renowned for uh, teaching law. Um so so that that comes uh that's a reference to that archaeological uh digging and and found so the book has a lot of um like i said references to to that place um it's it's also interesting um that right before you read i said i'd like to also talk about how your writing is lyrical and poetic and you said oh well the section that i'm going to read isn't really poetic <laughs> and then i don't mean to laugh so loudly there but um but then the probably 
maybe it was even the first phrase you said was 10,000 bombs. Like you call on these and, and throughout the novel, you're calling on the number 10,000. And, and, and there's, and, and so I just thought it was so interesting that immediately what I would consider going to the lyrical and uh, that's what you did, even though you said, oh, this section isn't. <laughs> this was not <laughs> what do you have yeah. to say to that Rawi? i don't know <laughs> i i think i think the, 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 in general the writing is poetic but also uh, i was i'm not um i'm not afraid to to segregate the poetic from the lyrical the the, the poetic comes in seems in block and sections sometimes um, and then you move on to the story. Which is very uh, driving, too. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the poetical, at least for me when I'm writing, it gives me this um, some kind of momentum to go and write. I always start with the poetic. Um, but mm. I, I suspect that comes also from from Arabic poetry because we were taught a lot of Arabic poetry when we were kids. Um, the Arabic poetry, or at least ancient Arabic poetry, always started with the poetical uh, lamentation section uh, that it always always played as an introduction uh, because Arabs were Bedouins and every time they would leave a place they would they would they would feel this um, this loss and mostly these sections they come as a as a poetic about about a loss and then. In 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 a sudden in a sudden move, uh, the poem starts without any relation to that particular introduction. So you, it's 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 two different. There are two different um, uh, uh, presentations, two different poems, but nevertheless uh, related. And you and and I you're think using that technique then within the novel. Yes, and, and I do. Going I do. back and forth. Yes, I do. I do. If you look at every kind of uh, major sections, I always start them with a poetic introduction, and then I move on to the story. It's a it's a form that is um, that is very widely used in ancient Arabic poetry. So, like I said, there's a lot of in the form and in the content, there's a lot of references to that particular culture, but it it doesn't hit you in the head. It's much more <laughs> subtle, right? Yeah, it's 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 almost you. It's you have to um, dig it a little bit. <laughs> it's 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 almost like it's, archaeological. Yes. Um, Digging it, that you have to. It's definitely a presence that because it's it's all it's all around you once you're in the world that you're you're re, you're creating here, but it's not it's it's um, yeah, but it's not something that gets in the way where you're constantly being reminded like oh this is poetic pay attention mm. here, um so so well let's let's take a break Rawi sure. um and we'll be back you're listening to the Living Writers Show today Rawi Hodge um, we'll be right back.
Good afternoon. Uh, you're listening to The Living Writers Show. Today, Rawi Hodge. And we have just heard um, a, a piece of the, uh, the novel De Niro's Game. And Rawi will be reading tomorrow night, Thursday night, at Shaman Drum at 7 o'clock. So, um, so go on by and pick up a copy of this, this book. It's really it's award-winning international bestseller. I love that on the front. <laughs> and, uh, and if you just heard a piece of it, you know why. Um, so, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Rawi, but you said you never expected to write a book. Is that what you said earlier <laughs> in that, that, that when we first started talking here on the air, did you say it just, did it happen by accident or what did you intend to do? Well, it's, um, it's, um, it's a good story. Um, I was, I was part of, um, of a show uh, an art show, a visual art show, because I'm also a photographer. And um, there was 30 artists participating. And the creator decided to do a catalog at one point, and she asked me to uh, to do some traveling and take portraits of the participating artists in this show. Um, while I was traveling, she calls me and she said, could you keep a ledger of your encounter? I I I think all my life I tried to avoid any bureaucratic work like any <laughs> artist I, think, I guess um I start writing her very fictitious short stories really about the encounter with those artists and she liked them she she uh, she even put one of them in, in the catalog and and one time one day when I met her she held my hand and she said to me you know you should write you're a writer and I start writing short stories and uh, after she told me this, I think she encouraged me. And I was enjoying the process of writing. Um, so I started When sending. was this, Rawi? Was this in New York City you know, or was, was in it in Canada? Maybe? Okay. It was in, in Canada. 2000, yeah, okay. 2000, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's good, good, good to have a time frame yeah. <laughs> to understand. Yeah. So you, okay, so 2000? Yeah. So I start sending a few, um, I sent a few short, short stories to Literary Magazine. Uh, I got published right away. And then I applied for a book of short stories. I applied for a grant from the Canada Council for a book of short stories, and they gave me the money. I couldn't believe it, but I did. So I um, I wrote many short stories, and somehow the last short stories, I didn't stop. I kept on writing, and that's the product of it. So that's how you launched it, Launched into it. Was it actually the the short story, was that the beginning of the novel or was it some yeah. other piece in the novel and then yeah, you wrote it was the, the beginning of the novel i was i wanted to write a short story about, about my mother and how she how she steals water but i <laughs> <laughs> yes. i it took me it took me to do something totally different which is very legitimate i think for and to any to any novelist so that's sometimes the you can't just you can't just plan a novel you, you don't know what kind of it's going to take and I think uh, of course. that's that's uh, that's a product of 
this book is a product of that. So it, it, so it started with the idea of that you wanted to tell the story of your, your mother stealing water from the neighbor's <laughs> reservoir. reservoir. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that point in the, it's Yeah, it's definitely early on. Yes, yes. And so we're all thieves in this war, what Bassam yeah. says. <laughs> even the mother <laughs> even is. Even his mom is, <laughs> is yes. implicated in that. Um, yes, So and so that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, that there is, there's truth there's the truth of our lives in everything and all the f- fiction that we, whatever the truth is you're trying to get at, that's, you're going to be obsessed with it. And so I guess it will surface in one different way, one way or another, yeah. right? It's, it's whatever's the, the truth. Um, well, let's see. Well, that's interesting because I was wondering where you wrote, wrote the novel and that answers that question because I was wondering if it was something that you had, had started pondering while you were, a young man in Beirut, or or what is it? Well, here's a question for you, Rawi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since that's what you're here for, right? right. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> um, so what's so what is it like then to write about a place that you've left and you're no longer there, and and you you're not really planning to go back to it, and to inhabit, create that world, yeah. and inhabit it for years, perhaps yeah. writing. I think for a long time I. Um, I didn't think of the war. I think it. it I, I left in '84, and I wrote the book and start writing in year 2000. It took, I think it took me that long to come to term with uh, with that particular experience, with the war experience. Um, but obviously, it wasn't It was in my head. It was always. Uh, it was always hidden. Hidden somewhere. How um, do you come to terms with it, or is it is or was the writing these stories part of the? Com- I, I guess can you explain I, I, that? I, I, uh, when I start writing, uh, all I could write about is that particular experience for the most part, um, and I think while I was writing, it was something very maybe cathartic about it. Uh, so I. Uh, I wrote ab- about that particular experience, which, which is, I think, it's very logical. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big experience. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> living through war is, 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 is not a small thing. Um, they say that every writer write about the thing that marked them most first, and then they move on. Um, so, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a natural thing to do. To write about uh, about the war. Um, oh, it seems like it. What, um, do you see? Do you also feel like this novel, um, even though it is set in Beirut, um, in Lebanon, are there are there um, parallels from the experience of war, like the the ten thousand bombs falling, this 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 repetition of the bombs falling, the bomb falling in the next alley? Is it is it something that we could draw connections to Iraq as well, like the current, like maybe what people might be experiencing? What it is a civil war. They're both civil wars, and I think, in my opinion, civil wars are the worst kind of war because the the population is in the midst of it. It's not a virtual war. It's not a war where you send your troops somewhere else and and Another you watch it on field. TV. Right. Um, so everybody is um, is in the midst of it. And during these wars, uh, the victims tend to be more of the civilians than than the combatant. 
In your in your novel, the first victim we see is a young girl. Yes. From the bomb. Yes. So it's interesting you set up, we have Bassam, our narrator, talking about how he will stay in the open air and he won't go into the shelter. Yes. And then he actually is one of the first to respond to the scene when when this young girl is hit and tries to, yes. immediately springs to action. Yes. There's, there's in Bassam, there's a defiance. It's ambiguous whether it's defiance to the war and death or it's a, it's a, it's a suicide, it's a, it's a, it's a death wish or it defines to death. There's a line in there, it says, death only strikes the blind, and so forth, in, 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 in the book. So it's it's that state of mind of Bethlehem. Um, it's it's also because he's, he's young, and many young people feel uh, they're invincible. Uh, so it's that age where you stand and, and, and feel defiant to your fate and destiny i remember when i was young when bomb fell we me and my cousin we used to go on the roof and watch the bombs falling which is a very stupid thing to do uh, but we always felt that we were some kind of comic heroes and we were untouchables it, it is it is some kind of a neurosis almost well almost you might have to start believing that in order to exist you could almost see that's like a one of the defenses yes. against the reality of yes. it right yes. but i love that the comics superhero <laughs> so sitting on the roof while the bomb, and you send you send you send Bassam and george your your heroes or anti-heroes oh you send them up to the roof at different times with yes they're at different times a mother or an aunt pleading or someone <laughs> yes yes there's that 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 is really that is what it's also interesting too that um in the section that you read us, it just it, the 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 reoccurrence of the the ten thousand because and you call on that as as I said like for for everything it's ten thousand bombs, um, but then it's also ten thousand cigarettes, <laughs> and then when the the when Bassam is in uh, when he's go- getting in the boat at one point, then it's um, I think it's like ten thousand waves, ten thousand fishes. So it's yes. like this what is what is the significance of ten well, thousand to you? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's well ten thousand in the common dialect, the Libyan's dialect means a lot. It's a big amount. Um, but also I used it as some kind of incantation, that repetition. The book, if anything, the book champions secularism. My characters are well, Bassam is is an atheist because he, with his small encounter with his um, uh, uncle, the communist, who is naturally could be an atheist. Um, it is, if anything, it champions, like I said, secularism. But I think the irony of the book that it's written in almost a religious form, religious writing, but at the same time uh, uh, advocating a secular society. It's a wishful thinking for Lebanese society because it's very sectarian. It's a sectarian place. And uh, historically, I think that was uh, a mixed blessing. It was always the divide came to be a, a, a religion. But also, also there was a great period of uh, coexistence in that place, which made it very tolerant compared to the other region. Lebanon had uh, had periods of of um, a certain inequality in classes, and not all not all communities were were uh, um, 
it's not an egalitarian society, but somehow all these sects through the ages managed to live because it's a collection of minorities. Um, the history of that place, it's a, it's, it's a mountainous place and all the minorities that were persecuted at one point or another uh, took refuge in that mountain. Um, but of course, like, like any um, a place with multiple um, affiliation and multiple identities, you risk, you, you have to maintain always that multicultural aspect of it and, and always integrate everybody and then give everybody equal rights or there'll be, there'll be um, always injustice leads to rebellion and wars and 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 the and this question of power that you yes you in, in investigate and show show the sides like even if you if you're trying to do to do good when there's these gross imbalances of power mm. then then it's, who it's is futile it yes is. well um well we're at the top of the hour you're listening to wcbn fm ann arbor today on the living writers show rawley hodge um we'll be right back Good afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writers Show, and we're here with Rawi Hodge, and I'm T. Hetzel. Um, so we're talking about Rawi's novel, De Niro's Game. Um, so, so, other, so, you, so you came to writing via photography. Yes. Um, is that so? So that explains why when when you when I am reading the, the the press materials, the press kit, it it um it it people are constantly calling on the imagery, the the cinematic quality. But it's interesting. A lot of them say the American cinematic quality. <laughs> they seem to attribute it somehow. I guess because of the De Niro. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, we would. It, would you like to tell tell us a little bit about that? The the visual quality of your work. Well, um, I think I think uh, photography um, 
influenced the writing in a, in a very um it's it's the way I take I used to take photographs I think uh, I I I find myself much more comfortable writing in the first person and I and I suspect because when I when when I take photographs I have to be present physically in a, in a, in a space and I think when I also when I write I I start uh, imagining myself in a certain space um so, so <laughs> I think that's the influence of photography on my writing. I Your I always situate myself. Yes, yeah. I situate myself in a space, and I, and I and I and I kind of pick images, uh, very um, uh, sporadic, but but somehow linked, much like photography. Because photography is about single frames, but you can always present something that is coherent at the end. Uh, yeah, you can how you kind of link to... them how you choose uh, the images and, uh, and and I think that's the influence of photography on my writing um, there is this series of um, long descriptive poetic uh, uh, passages in, in the writing and I also was also consci- always conscious that um, presenting a visual image could be very lyrical as well. It can How be very so? concise and lyrical. You don't have to explain too much. I think. I think, in a way, it's it's almost postmodern where I let, where I let the reader kind of do the interpretation. Um, I I find myself. I don't have to to elaborate too much. I I think I'm one of those writers who rely on 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 the reader, or I give the reader much more credit. Than 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 uh, than people think, or maybe a writer think. You don't you, need to insert commentary if yes. you've got the images there. You you trust, trust yes. them. Yes, I, I trust the reader that they will know that they will expand themselves on that image, and and some somewhere we would meet me and them. We would we would be in agreement. It's a risky way of writing. Probably it's a risky way of writing, but I. Uh, uh, but there's always risk. There's always uh, uh, readers who won't like your writing or who won't feel any affiliation to it. You can't just please everyone. You just have to um, write and and uh, to a certain audience that you feel that they will um, they will uh, accept your writing. Do you write? When do you have someone in mind when you say that? When you say a certain audience, is it? Or you, uh, do you picture someone particularly? No, or I don't. I, I, uh, yeah, having said that, I <laughs> don't. Uh, but it's very, my audience is very abstract. I know there's mm. an audience, but I don't see. Uh, uh, cer- I don't see demography or or or, or, or a certain age. It's uh, like maybe a connection in the mind. It sounds yes. like more like the ideal audience is. is yes. Y- yes. I think there's a lot of dark humor too in the yes. book, and I and I and I even maybe. the scene you read to us, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's blood everywhere in this book. Literally in that scene, that young girl then yes begins bleeding as well. Yes, yes. So yeah, yeah. There is there is that. Um, I think I write for audience who are not afraid of reading a dark book. If it's if, if somebody is expecting something to alleviate, uh, you know, uh, the pain, or, or uh, it's not that kind of book. It's but at the same time, I, uh, I, it's not a totally morbid book. I think somewhere, somewhere, it's a very optimistic book as well. 
Um, Be- because he, uh, well, maybe yeah, maybe we won't talk about the end. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll just, okay. <laughs> we'll, just <laughs> we'll leave that little bit of mystery there. Sure. <laughs> um, so so what? Um, so you're also cur- curator as well of. Uh, is that something? Yes, I curated. Your... I curated few shows, but mostly they were um, engaged, politically engaged um, shows. I, I did. Uh, I, I co-curated with a friend of mine. Her name is Frida Gottman, uh, an art show called "Artist Against the Occupation," where we invited a lot of engaged artists to to do a big show against. Uh, against the occupation we all know which one <laughs> yeah so um so it was you a, can it say was it big... it's gone <laughs> <laughs> i know it's progressive station it is can say it. <laughs> we but, just can't we just, can't swear just, yeah <laughs> even though so, we might want yeah. to um yeah so i i did a few uh engaged show political shows um I also curated from a long distance, actually, the first uh, Arab um, f- film festival in Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, it's uh, with in, in cooperation with uh, with an organization there that presents a lot of our Arabic cultural events called Mizna. Uh, so, yeah, so I I uh, I curated that show. I, it was a long distance. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That must be a whole different ball game. <laughs> What's your current project? What can you tell us about some of the work since De Niro's game? I'm uh, I'm I'm in the final editorial process of my second book, almost done. But I'm I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about it. Uh, but it it takes place in Montreal. And uh, it's not a sequel to the Heroes game, <laughs> <laughs> though you can see some traits of the same characters in it. Because well, there is a moment um, where uh, the Bassam is is part of his his plan is to go to to Montreal, and once you get there, rip up the right. passport. Right, right, right. right. So, okay, but no yes. sequel. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's. Um, yeah, who knows? Uh, who knows? Actually. We'll see. We'll okay. See. All right. We won't. We won't keep pressing, pressing you there. Um, well. Um, so. So let's see. Well, tomorrow. Um, this is great. I hope you. You went to. You were. You were in Detroit and D- Dearborn yesterday, and um, and tomorrow night, as we said, Shaman Drum, seven yes. o'clock. Yes. Um, you'll be reading. What do you have a plan of what you're going to read? There, Rawi. Uh, yes, more or less, okay. more or less. Sometimes I change my mind the last minute, but uh, more or less. Go. I have, I have a copy of my book that is all <laughs> it's marked and scratched. And, yes, yeah. many. Yeah, you, it looks like you have many possibilities there. Um, <laughs> yeah. with the red, red tag, uh, orange tags rather. Um, rum stuck on red now. <laughs> the, uh, Ten thousand blood. Anyway, okay. Um, before we we go, I wanted to say that I I found this one. You you mentioned um, the length of your sentences, and I was um, gobsmacked at this one point because there there's a page, a, a whole page that's comprised that could be comprised of two sentences, and I I didn't check like I didn't look that closely at the sentence level on every page. But were you was that something that you were aware of? There was a moment where you you were like, I am writing. The longest sentence in the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, I don't, I don't think I can top Proust. You know? Okay, <laughs> but they are they're very, 
they're very long sentences yeah i i when i went to school we 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 studied a lot of french literature because i went to a catholic school and uh, we were taught by many uh french priests and and uh, teachers so uh, there's a lot of french influence in my writing as well i have to I have to admit um I read Proust when I was a kid. Really? <laughs> yes, I did. We had to. Wait, wait, when you were how old? Because that's something like remembrance of times past. Like that's yes, that's, um, yes, yes. It's it's long and. Uh, um, you read it by was, candlelight. <laughs> yes, how romantic is that? Reading French literature in the candlelight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was probably thirteen, fourteen, maybe. Yeah. And so that's imprinted you too. Yeah, there's no way. It's it's interesting that you you say that there's, you know, you this isn't a, a like you have to write about war. This is what these were your first impressions. This yeah. is this is what. It's what came out. Yeah, this is what came out. And yeah. it seems like it will always be with you. Of course, right? This is something that's it's. Informs well, who, yeah, probably not. Just by writing a book, I'm not totally cured. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll send all you know psychologists to out of business, right? Um, but it helps. Writing this book did help. It did put things in perspective, and uh, I feel I'm lucky also because um, I had a story that is heard, that is uh, that people picked up and read, and. Um, and it's a slice of history. It's a slice of history in this book. Um, I think the tragedy about the Lebanese war that after the war ended, unlike what happened in, in South Africa where they had the commission and people came and talked and uh, uh, the Lebanese government did not preserve that memory. It was not in the school curriculum. It was not talked about. Um, there were no monument left about it. The only people who talk upon themselves to 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 record um, these events and that memory where were independent artists writers and filmmakers in all forms whether fictitious or, or real and uh, and I think it's it's a small contribution to to that memory of that horrible war it lasted 20 years and it was about 150,000 uh, dead for a population of 3 million. So you do the math. It's, it was a big tragedy. Um, and I think we all have to preserve our own memories. Uh, it's, it's a universal thing to do. It's not just about a place. I think we all have to learn from, uh, from everybody, from everywhere, regardless. Elsewhere can also be, uh, become here. Yes, it can be very close. It's yes. something we yes we need and preserve the memory. Well, thank you, thank, thank you, you. Robbie Hodge, um, for reading from your your novel De Niro's Game. Um, let's see. Uh, so again, tomorrow night, Shaman Drum, seven o'clock, Rowie Hodge. Um, also tomorrow, Stephen Milhauser is in town and he'll be, uh, giving a talk tomorrow in Rackham at five o'clock. Um, thanks to Jesse Johnston. Um, and our wonderful engineer. Thanks for listening, Ann Arbor, to the Living Writers Show. Thanks to those streaming in Florida, Washington, elsewhere. Um, this is T. Hetzel. Until next time. In a river.
The Daily Sports Report. There to pick it up. Now here to Geis. Geis makes a move. Shoots and scores. Milan Geis with a sick move in the slot and beats Jordan Sigalat. I don't know how many moves he pulled off there, but Milan Geis scores. And we are tied at three goals apiece.